Appreciate the scripture reading this morning that's been read, but I want you to open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, where, where we just read a minute ago. And I want you to uh, look at this passage even more carefully. Listen to what Paul is saying here. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You know, what glorious hope this passage offers the sinner. When Paul wrote about this, he was filled with wonder and amazement and adoration. Paul was just simply overwhelmed by the thought and the idea that God was willing to forgive man's sins and make it possible for sinful man to be brought back into God's fellowship. You see, Paul knew enough about the nature of God and the guilt of sin to know that any reconciliation between God and man would have to be one of the greatest demonstrations of divine love and grace and mercy imaginable. In adoration, praise, and excitement, Paul joyfully proclaimed to the world this good news. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold. Notice that word behold. That word simply means you need to stop, look, and listen. Behold. All things are become new. Paul, in essence, here says, here's something to get very excited about. What gets you excited today? Maybe your team scores the winning touchdown or the winning basket. Or maybe you get that promotion at work that you've been hoping that you would get and you're all excited or Maybe as a college student, you passed that class that you didn't think you had a chance to pass at all, but you pass and you're so excited. Or, or maybe the family gets the good news that a baby's on the way. Or you think about the excitement your children get when you come home and you announce you're going to Disney World. You know, to Paul, the good news of divine reconciliation was truly exciting. How thrilling to know that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You know, the thought of this idea literally seemed to sweep Paul off his feet. And I ask you today, how does this strike you? 
Do you today see anything at all unusual about what God has done for us? Is it something to get excited about? Is it something to marvel at? Do you really today understand what's involved here? You know, before we can see the wonder and the marvel of divine forgiveness, we're going to have to understand enough about God and his nature and sin and its nature to realize that some penalty must be paid for the guilt of sin. You see, God's nature is such that sin simply cannot go uncondemned, and yet God offers to forgive our sins. And this morning, I want us to stop, and I want us to give some serious thought to it that hopefully we will understand even better the amazement, the marvel of divine forgiveness. And I want us to consider, first of all, man's own status. How does man stand before the Almighty God? You know, we need to realize, first of all, this morning that man has sinned against God. We need to understand that all of us stand guilty before God. The Bible says in Romans 3 and verse 23 that all have sinned. That's you and that's me. And fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and verse 10, there is none righteous, that's you and that's me. No, not one. The Bible says in 1 John 1 and verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so sin is a very serious thing and yet... These passages make it very clear that all of us, without exception, are guilty of sin. Now, do you realize today what this means? This means that all of us have been offensive to God because sin is offensive to God's nature. Sin is offensive to God's dignity, to his holiness, to his love. It is offensive to God's very being. Well, why is sin so offensive to God? Well, when one sins, he defies God. He turns his back on God. He rebels against God. Sin, therefore, is terrible because the very essence of sin is in opposition to God. And we cannot oppose God today and remain in his fellowship. It's for that reason the Bible says in Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. There just isn't anything more foreign to God or so completely against God as sin. Now since sin is so offensive to God, and causes man to oppose God, brings man in rebellion against God, and since it's so foreign to God, and breaks man's fellowship with God, we need to understand that sin deserves and merits infinite punishment. There is a penalty that must be paid. 
Mankind is guilty of sin and guilt deserves punishment, not pardon. Pardon of guilt is an act of mercy, not merit. Pardon of sin is going to have to come through God's mercy. It cannot come through human merit. It cannot come because of anything that we might do. That just simply means, folks, that all of us would be forever doomed. We would be in a state of complete hopelessness and helplessness were it not for divine justification. But someone may ask in the second place, how can there be justice and justification at the same time? Just doesn't sound right. How can there be justice on one hand and justification on the other hand? Since sin merits infinite punishment, can God just be induced somehow to let man off without punishment? No, it's against God's nature. It's like saying, I'm going to pour water on you, but you won't get wet. It's a part of the nature of water to make whatever it's poured on wet. And it's just a part of God's nature that he cannot be induced to let man off, to let sin go without punishment. Not until satisfaction has been given and the debt paid. And so I ask, how can that debt be paid? Well, mankind, we cannot pay that debt. Hebrews 10 verse 4 says, it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. You see, there isn't any sacrifice that man himself can offer. There's no amount of money that any person can give as payment for that debt. Well, how then can that debt be paid? Well, God, through Christ has made that payment for us. Christ has stepped in and he has suffered what he himself need not suffer at all and by his sacrifice on the cross, he has offered before God infinite compensation for the infinite wrong done by you and by me. You see, that's the marvel, that's the amazing thing about divine forgiveness. Now, we must keep in mind that God is a God of justice as well as a God of justification. Now, how can this be? You see, divine justice calls for the punishment of sin, while divine justification provides a pardon for sin. How can God condemn sin on the one hand, and how can he at the same time forgive the sinner on the other hand? You see, God's nature is such that he cannot let man off without punishment until satisfaction has been given and the debt paid. And through the sacrifice of our Lord on Calvary's cross, satisfaction has been given. The debt has been paid. And so the cross has propitiated God. That's why Christ is said to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John 2 and verse 2. Now, what does that word propitiation mean? That's a strange sounding word, isn't it? It's not a word we commonly use every day, propitiation. 
We need to know what that word means when we talk about Christ being the propitiation of our sins. The word propitiation simply means that which satisfies. The death of Christ has propitiated. It has satisfied both divine justice and divine justification. Please note carefully what Paul said in Romans 3 in verse 24. He said, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth, talking about Jesus Christ and the cross, to be a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, Because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now notice in the last part of that particular statement that he might be just and the justifier of the one that believes in Jesus. You see, only through the sacrifice of the cross could God be just in condemning sin. And at the very same time, could he be the justifier of the one who believes in Jesus? It's very interesting in one of Isaiah's prophecies concerning the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Isaiah would say that God would see the travail of Christ's soul and shall be satisfied. Isaiah 53 and verse 11. In other words, God saw what Jesus did on Calvary, the agony, the suffering, the bearing of our sins on Calvary. The Bible says God would see the travail of the soul of our Lord and he would be satisfied. He said the pleasure of the Lord would prosper in Christ's hand. And so you see, divine justice and divine justification were both satisfied. That is, propitiated through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And now in the third place, we need to ask ourselves, you know, what does the Lord's cross really mean to us? What does the Lord's cross mean to you? What does it mean to me? I want to suggest to you that in the cross, we can see three things. First of all, in the cross, we see the condemnation of sin. You know, after viewing Calvary, after seeing the grueling, torturous death our Lord endured on Calvary, no man can ever say that sin does not matter to God. It matters very much to him. If sin didn't matter to God, there would be no explanation for the terrible suffering. There would be no explanation, if sin didn't matter to God, of the agonizing death of our Lord. Not only do we see the condemnation of sin on the cross, but I think we also observe the revelation of divine love. 
1 John 4 and verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. There's our word for our sins. Ephesians 5 and verse 2 challenges us to walk in love. How? As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. You know, because of the love of our Lord and what he did for us on the cross, Paul said here in Ephesians that we are to walk in love. We are to live a life of love toward other people. You know, you start thinking that you maybe are are better than somebody else because of the color of your skin. You need to get over yourself and begin to view yourself as God does. You think you're better than somebody else because of the social status that you have, the friends that you have, how people speak well of you. You need to get over yourself and you need to see yourself as God really sees you. You think you're better than somebody else maybe because of what you wear or the material possessions that you have? Again, you need to get over yourself and view yourself as God sees you. Or maybe sometimes we begin to think that we're just pretty good people. We're a lot different from everybody else in the world and you know, we're just pretty good folks. Oh, we had to obey the gospel. We had to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. But, you know, we're pretty good people, aren't we? Need to get over ourselves. Need to see ourselves who we truly are. Hopeless, helpless, worms in the dust. No hope at all of eternal life. Unless God intervenes on our behalf. And so we're to walk in love as Christ also loved us. Romans 5 and verse 8 says that God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. You see, when we look at the cross, we see the condemnation of sin. We see the revelation of divine love, and we're challenged to walk in love. A third thing we see, though, in the cross of our Lord is the gift of salvation. Salvation is the free gift of God, Ephesians 2 and verse 8. You see, the good news of the gospel is that God, through Christ, has taken the sinner's place, paid the debt and the penalty of sin for us, and he has suffered on the cross that which we would have to suffer eternally. You see, the experience of the cross was but really a foretaste of hell itself. The terrible darkness that transpired on that day, the tremendous suffering of thirst, the agony of our Lord's soul, the torture, the cry of desertion, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The excruciating, unbearable pain were all but just a foretaste of what man would have had to experience eternally in hell. 
Now, why did our Lord Jesus Christ have to go through such a terrible ordeal? The answer is he did it for us. Because you see, only in this way could divine justice be satisfied in the paying of sin's penalty. And only in this way could divine justification be a reality and man be relieved of having to pay that debt himself. You know, it's truly amazing and marvelous that, that all this should be done for you and for me. And oh, how our hearts ought to be filled today with wonder and praise and adoration when we stop and think about what it took for sinful man to be brought back into a right relationship with God. No wonder Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. No wonder Paul said in Galatians 6 and verse 1, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is it any wonder then in the fourth place that the provisions that have been made for us through the cross are truly amazing to think about? You know, as a result of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, think about some things that have been made possible. There is propitiation. There is redemption, the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation to God. You know, we ought to think about these things just briefly. First of all, propitiation has been provided. You know, before things could be made right between sinful man and the Holy Father of heaven, the demands of divine justice and divine justification had to be satisfied. And through the offering of Jesus Christ, those demands have been satisfied. Mankind could not do this. It had to be an act of God himself. And were it not for the propitiation that Christ made possible, there would be absolutely no release at all from the eternal penalty of human guilt. There's the marvel of divine forgiveness. Another thing that God through Christ has provided for us is redemption. You know, before anybody can be redeemed, a ransom must be paid. That means that our liberation came at a tremendous cost. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. That is, Jesus Christ came to liberate us from the guilt of sin. All have sinned. All are in bondage to sin. And before sinners can be set free, a redemption price has to be paid. Suppose you were in a Middle Eastern country as an American and you were taken hostage by one of those terrorist groups over there. And just suppose when you had just about given up and you knew that death was going to happen, you just didn't know how or when or where, but you knew it was coming. Suppose some Navy SEAL team was sent in from this country and intervened and somehow took you from your captives, perhaps a couple of those team members lost their own lives in the process, but you were rescued from that danger, from that death. How would you feel? Wouldn't you feel gratitude in your heart for those that came to rescue you from your helpless and hopeless situation? It even costs life 
for you to be rescued. When you think about what our Lord has done for us, there's absolutely no redemption price that man himself can pay to be liberated from the bondage of sin. But Jesus Christ came and he paid the redemption price for us. It's with the precious blood of Christ, without spot and without blemish, that we have been redeemed. A third thing that God through Christ has provided for us today is the forgiveness of sins. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, Colossians 1 and verse 14. And I want you to notice that phrase today, even the forgiveness of sins. What does that mean? Well, the word in the original language that's translated here, forgiveness, means dismissal, release. Pardon. It means the passing of a debt. Isn't that wonderful to think about? But can God just dismiss, can God just release and pardon this debt that we owe when his very nature is such that he demands payment for that debt? Only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is it possible. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, Hebrews 9 and verse 22. And so it took the shedding of the blood of the Son of God to bring about this remission of sins. You see, Christ's death made it possible for us to be released from an unpayable debt. What great love our God has shown toward us. What a great act of mercy on God's part. God has done something for us that we didn't deserve, God has done something on our behalf that we could never have done for ourselves. That's the marvel of divine forgiveness. A fourth thing that God through Christ has provided for us is reconciliation. You know, because of sin, mankind was estranged. He was separated from God because of sin. But the amazing thing about it all is that a willing God seeks to bring unwilling man back into his fellowship. Well, how can that be done? Only through Christ is it possible. The only thing that can possibly bring about such a wonderful reconciliation is what Christ did on our behalf. As our text says in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 18, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The Bible says about Jesus, for God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Behold the marvelous and matchless love of God. But as I close today, we, we need to stop and consider the wonder of it all. You know, the most amazing thing about God's pardon that I'm afraid we fail to understand in many cases in our materialistic world today where we think we are entitled and we think we deserve everything that we have, the most amazing thing about God's pardon 
is that he sent his only begotten son who needed no forgiveness for himself. He sent his only begotten son who needed no redemption for his own sins. He needed no reconciliation on his own behalf, but who suffered in our stead to offer himself as a sacrifice for our atonement and even as it were, to experience a foretaste of hell itself as a payment for our guilt. Now, who ever heard of such a love as that? Who would ever defy this God of love or deny this God of love? To me, the worst of all ingrates is the person who in view of all that God has done for him would question or quibble about anything that God has demanded of him. Divine forgiveness today is provided through the mercy of God, and yet God's forgiveness is conditional. It's offered freely to all that will accept it and meet the conditions of it. And when one meets these conditions, he doesn't in any way earn the forgiveness of sins. Because you see, the guilt of sin deserves penalty and not pardon. And no matter how many conditions of pardon there might be, pardon is still always an act of mercy and not merit. For instance, faith is a condition of forgiveness. Without faith, we cannot please God. But when one believes, is he earning this forgiveness? No, not in the least. He's simply putting his trust in him through whose mercy salvation has been offered. Or what about repentance and baptism? Aren't these conditions of salvation? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, when one does those things, does he earn the forgiveness of sins? Certainly not. He's simply submitting and surrendering himself to him in whom there is redemption. You see, there isn't anything that a person can do to earn salvation. But there's something that he must do if he would accept the salvation that God has provided and the question for us today is have we done that and if not why I plead with you why not do so immediately how great is God's forgiveness to offer this forgiveness to those of us who do not deserve it the thought of this today should overwhelm us with awe and wonder and amazement May God help each of us. May God help us to more fully appreciate the marvel of divine forgiveness. This morning, the invitation is yours if you're subject to it. We ask that you come now while we stand and sing.